everyone. Welcome to the Practicology Podcast. It is so good to have you with us. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Matthew Kane. And I'm Mike Knox. And we want to give you a very special welcome to you if this is the first time you've joined us on the Practicology Podcast. We sure do. And that includes you if you are not a Christian. We record most of these podcasts to help those who are already Christians. But we also want to try and help those who are not Christians, or at least who are not yet Christians. Which is why we have a Good News For You series, GNFY. And this is GNFY number four. If you find this episode helpful, uh, do feel free to go back and find some of the earlier ones, episodes 102, 110, 119. So where are we going in this episode? Well, imagine we can meet up for a good coffee somewhere. And that is something I would love to do right now, by the way. And we get talking about faith. And imagine you said, can you give me one good reason why I should be interested in Christianity? It's a very good question, and I appreciate where it's coming from. I think a few generations ago, Mike, people wouldn't have needed to ask that question, perhaps, because back then there was more of a shared understanding that there is a God, and he's our judge, and there's an afterlife. And so the relevance of Christianity was pretty obvious to most people in our culture in the past. It didn't mean that everyone was interested in the Christian gospel, but everyone knew why people would be interested in the gospel. It helps you to be ready for the next life. Yeah, just to be clear, uh, Matthew and I as Christians do believe in an afterlife and that the Christian faith is very relevant and pressing for that reason. But I want to stay with the question in the coffee shop. And let's say you don't believe any of that. Well, we could say, you know, there is an afterlife, God's book, the Bible says so, and you need to get ready to meet God. And the only way you can be ready is if you receive the gift of salvation God offers through his son, Jesus Christ. So that's what we could say. And I, I actually think it's important to say that, but there's a good chance that if we did say it, it wouldn't connect with you emotionally. Uh, you might hear that and think, yeah, yeah, theoretically, if there is an afterlife, it might be worth me checking out what the Christian message is all about. But in your heart, you're maybe about as engaged with that notion as you are when someone reminds you, you really should meet with that lawyer and prepare a will, or you really should do some research into getting a life insurance policy. Right. So you're saying that tack isn't always the most appealing to people, doesn't connect with people as well. So what's another tack we can take, Mike, that shows how the gospel does connect to people's hearts? Well, the Bible shows us that every culture has its soft spots, you know, uh, spots that if you touch them, the room goes quiet and everyone takes notice. And a few years ago, I got to listen to a Manitoba youth choir. They were in town. They were really, really good. All their songs were super well done, and the audience was enjoying listening along. But you know, when, when they came to their final song of the show, you could feel a difference settle into the room immediately. Uh, something just changed in the room. And suddenly there was this awesome hush. And at the same time, this powerful, uh, visceral response coming deep from inside everyone's hearts. And it wasn't that the choir sang this final song with more skill than they did the other songs. It was the song itself. It was the words, the, the message of the song. And, well, of course, you're going to want to know what song it was. It was the song, This Is Me, This Is Me. It was easy to tell that when the choir sang this song, that even here in the small conservative rural town in Manitoba that I live in, that this choir was pressing a cultural soft spot for the crowd. Mm -hmm. And based just on what I recall of that song, Mike, that soft spot probably involves the topic of our 
identity. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. That that whole idea of this is me. Uh, I'm going to assert who I truly am. I don't care what anyone else thinks about me anymore. I'm I'm done with trying to conform to other people's conceptions of what I should be. I accept myself, and that's all that matters. Yeah, this is a major soft spot today for people. So, so you ask, give me one good reason why I should be interested in Christianity. And my answer in this episode is, well, there's lots of good reasons. There are lots of soft spots in your heart that the Christian gospel speaks to. And when it does, you'll really wake up and take interest. And one of these soft spots is that the gospel speaks with incredible power to the matter of our identity. All right, that was a long answer. Let me shorten it up. Um, My answer is this. You should be interested in the Christian message because it offers you a solid identity that is not crushing. A rock-solid identity that isn't crushing. Sounds good. Sounds great, Mike. And knowing you and knowing a little bit of Tim Keller, I think I'm also hearing a little Tim Keller influence coming out in the way that you're wording that. I'm very perceptive of you. Yes, Matthew, you're right. You've caught me. Actually, a lot of his influence is coming out right now in this episode, and I'm happy to acknowledge my dependence on his work right now, right from the start, and I'll likely uh, say that again before this episode is over. But Keller says an identity is two things. It's, number one, having a sense of self, and number two, having a sense of worth. So just briefly, uh, having a sense of self means that as I go through all the changes of life, you know, from young age, middle age, old age, whatever, and the world fluctuates big time all around me, that all the way through I have this core sense of who I am, that I have this unchanging sense of self, that this is still me. But then secondly, the other part of that is a sense of worth, um, a sense of, of I'm accepted, I'm, I'm, I'm worth something, I'm, I'm loved, you know? And this is such a soft spot for us today. It's what we're searching for, a sense of self and a sense of worth. I think of a friend I met at camp, um, a camp I was helping at, and he spent the entire week searching for identity. Every single day from the moment he arrived to the moment he got on the bus to leave, he was trying to talk other campers and counselors into giving him their name tags. He was a really hilarious kid, and he would do anything to get someone's name tag. He would climb a tree, he'd do push-ups, he'd give them his snack or whatever. And by the end of the day, sure enough, he would have probably 20 name tags pinned to his sweater. And I thought, this isn't just true of one camper at camp, is it? This is, this is true of me too, and probably most of us. Every day of our lives, we're all working to try and get our identity. I really, really want to know who I am and get a sense of worth, that I matter, I'm important, I'm loved. Yeah. Yeah, identity is huge for us. You're absolutely right. And we're searching for it. So, Mike, how would you say we try to get our identity? I mean, this boy at camp that you just referenced, he tried to get identity by climbing trees and doing push-ups. And I don't want to have to do push-ups to get my identity. So are there other ways of finding our identity? Yeah, well, Keller says there's two main ways of getting a sense of self and a sense of worth. And they both have their pros and cons. So... Uh, The first way is to look out, to look out. And this is the old traditional way. So uh, in this way, you look outside of yourself to your family and to the people around you. And this way of getting your identity is still very big for traditional communities today. And, And so the way it works is 
you look outside to the people around you, your family, your community, and you do what society expects of you. You, you fit into the role they give you. Do what's expected, dress the part, fulfill the role, be who you're supposed to be according to other people's expectations, and you'll know who you are and you'll feel accepted. You'll you'll feel like you belong. In a, in a sense, I can see what's attractive about this approach. It's very achievable, so it seems. All you have to do is fulfill some pretty low expectations and conform with them, and you'll have a sense of who you are. I'm a member of this family. I'm in this community, and my role is to do this job, and people accept and appreciate me because of that, just because I'm one of them. Yeah, that's right, but uh, the drawbacks are pretty easy to, to see as well, and they are like this like what if you don't fit with everyone's expectations what if you're a girl who likes to fix engines what if you're a guy who loves to read and write poetry uh what if you're from a family of farmers but you're passionate about going into law so yeah looking out to get our identity by conforming to the expectations of the people around us is great because it's easy to know who you are and, and to know that you're loved but it can also be stifling and feel binding and not have any flex in it for those who don't fit into the system easily. Which takes us to the second way, and it's very, very different. This way of getting an identity is not by looking out, but by looking in, to look in. And this is the modern way. So you look inside yourself. Don't look outside of yourself to get an identity. Look inside. See what's in your heart, what you're passionate about, and then be yourself, be true to yourself. No matter what anyone else thinks, Define yourself not by how you relate to other people, but by yourself, nothing else. You don't need anyone else to esteem you and approve you. You yourself give yourself your own sense of worth. You bless yourself. You esteem yourself. The only approval I need is my own. And uh, Keller points out that you can actually see both of these ways of getting an identity uh, contrasted in the song Where You Are in the Mo Moana film. Moana's dad is telling her, she needs to fulfill her duty to the community and be the island's next leader. And so there's all this pressure from people around her to conform to tradition and take the role you're given. That's the look outside approach. But then her grandma sings as well. And her grandma tells her to look inside. She says that if a voice inside Moana's heart whispers to her, that voice inside you is who you are. And this way very clearly makes up for the disadvantages of the traditional way, I can tell. I mean, instead of being forced to comply and fill a role that you aren't good at or interested in, there is almost endless freedom to pursue what you are interested in, what you are good at. And that's a good thing. We are individuals, and it's good to have freedom to pursue our interests in accordance with the way that we're all uniquely made. I have a suspicion, though, that there's also some big problems with looking in to get our identity also, aren't there? Yeah, there really are. There's lots of problems, but we'll just take time to talk about three of them. Uh, number one, looking in to get our identity is very confusing. It's confusing. I mean, think about all the different things we wanted to be when we grew up, right? In my case, uh, I wanted to be an astronaut and go to the moon, a private detective who catches criminals, a Coast Guard officer breaking up smuggling rings on Lake of the Woods, a water park owner entrepreneur, um, a professional soccer player and a professional hockey player, an author of best-selling books, a track and field star, and a preacher. It's exhausting just hearing you go through that list, Mike, and you've only managed to succeed on the last one. Thank you for reminding me of my failures, Matthew. And uh, yeah, some people maybe 
would disagree that I even succeeded on the last one. But, you know, I have a daughter who may have it worse even than me. And at one time, I can remember her wanting to be an astronaut on the moon, an opera singer, and a nun. Um, <laughs> which, as I think about it now, might not be as contradictory as I first thought. You know, she could be a nun singing opera on the moon, and no one would care, right? But um, the point is, looking inside to get my identity is super confusing. Why? Because I'm a mess, right? Moana's grandma uh, talks about a voice inside her, and that voice is who you really are. But this assumes we're all neat and tidy creatures inside. The truth is we don't have one voice inside. We have lots of voices. And, and they're all saying a different thing, you know? We're filled with conflicting desires. A desire to be a nun and a desire to be in a love relationship, in the case of my daughter. So how do we know which voice is the real me? Which desire is the authentic one, as opposed to this contrary desire over here? And Francis Bufford puts it this way. He says, you are a being whose wants make no sense, don't harmonize, whose desires deep down are discordantly arranged so that you truly want to possess and you truly want not to at the very same time. Uh, good grief, I remember one of the last trips I made to go speak somewhere and I was almost in tears trying to figure out which suitcase I wanted to take. Uh, part of me wanted to take the bigger one, probably so I could fit in more books on the way home, and the other wanted to go minimalistic. And yeah, sure, I was really overwhelmed at the time and overstressed, but, but look, if I can't sort out my suitcase desires, how am I supposed to sort out my desires for who I'm supposed to be? And as I recall, you took the bigger suitcase, didn't you, to fit more books? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but just to add to that too, Mike, uh, our desires are not just conflicting, they're also changing at times, right? I mean, you, you mentioned the different jobs we want to have when we're young, and part of that is that our desires change from year to year and month to month, even from moment to moment. And that means if we base our sense of who we are and what we're worth on our inner desires, we're basing our very identity on a very shaky foundation. Yeah, that's such a such an important point, yeah. And, and you know, there's a, a second problem, Matthew. Not only is it confusing, but secondly, uh, looking in to get our identity, it's impossible. It just doesn't work. So this modern way of getting our identity says, from whom do I get my sense of worth? Well, I just get it from me. I love myself. I affirm myself. And the only person's love and acceptance and esteem and value I need is my own. I am the judge who presides over myself and, and you know, declares myself worthy of existence. But this doesn't work. It's impossible. Let me quote from Tim Keller. He says, in the end, we can't say to ourselves, I don't care that literally everyone else in the world thinks I'm a monster. I love myself and that is all that matters. We need someone from outside to say we are of mm -hmm. great worth. And the greater the worth of that someone, the more power they have to instill a sense of self and worth. Only if we are approved and loved by someone whom we esteem can we achieve any self-esteem. We need someone we respect to respect us. We need someone we admire to admire us. Even when modern people claim to be validating themselves, the reality is always that they are socializing themselves into a new community of peers, of cheerleaders, of people whose approval they crave. It's actually such a good paragraph, listeners. I encourage you to hit that back ear to go back 15 seconds a couple times and listen to that again and think about it and process it. It just rings so true. And just to give an example of how impossible that situation is, I mean, let's say the let's say the in crowd at school are all listening to mainstream music right now. 
and you think, ah, oh, that's pathetic. Everyone's listening to the same mainstream artists. I'm not that kind of person. I'm the kind of person who listens to artists who are on the edge, who no one else even knows about. But your music choices in that instance are not you being you. It's not you looking inside, seeing your music desires and how they're so different from everyone else, and you follow those desires, not caring that most people haven't even heard of these musicians. What's really going on there, I think, is that there's a, there's a different group whose approval and affirmation matters to you. It's the group of people who are even more elite than the in crowd. You're wanting to identify yourself as someone musically elite, someone connected, someone who listens to musicians before they become stars. And then if they do hit the limelight, you can turn around and say, yeah, I've been following that person for years now, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, I see the same um, in myself with, with shopping, you know, shopping for clothes or books or devices or even for cars. Uh, not so much the cars for me, but... Um, but this is very pervasive. We think, oh, I'm expressing my unique individuality here. I'm being true to myself. I'm dressing and driving in accordance with who I am. But the reality is we're actually dressing and driving the way some marketers and some capitalist business guys are telling us to dress and drive. We cannot, we cannot free ourselves from the need for outside validation. And that takes me to the third problem with looking in to get a sense of self. And, and it's this, it's crushing. This is crushing. I was talking to a grade 12 student about this as she was uh, telling me about how hard it was to figure out what to do with her life after high school. And she was saying that, sure, yeah, there's a lot of freedom to go into whatever you want to go, but there's this catch. And it goes like this. You make something of yourself. You can be anything you want, girl, but boy, oh boy, it better be good, right? You can be anything you want, but, but boy, it better be good. And whenever I think about this, I cannot not think about uh, Ronda Rousey, the pro wrestler. I think she was like 14 and 0 or something like that. She was unbeaten. She was the best in the world. But then she lost one fight. Okay, so she had one bad day. She lost one fight. And this is what she says. She says, honestly... My thought in the medical room, I was sitting in the corner and I was like, what am I anymore if I'm not this? She says, literally sitting there thinking about killing myself. In that exact second, I'm like, I'm nothing. What do I do anymore? No one gives a beep about me anymore without this. Wow. Mm. Hey, see how crushing this is? 14 and 1 isn't good enough. When your sense of worth rests on your performance... It's all resting on you. You have to win. You have to succeed. And if you don't, you're nothing. Rankin Wilborn says it this way. He says, suppose you are one of the rare individuals who actually does know what you want to do with your life. Great. Now, all you have to do is go do it and do it well and keep it up. That's an unrelenting pressure that no amount of success can relieve because the question is always, now what will you do next? And if you don't make it, or can't make it, it's all up to you, and you fail, then who do you have left to blame? It's a tough standard. So we've seen a, a look-out approach, the traditional approach to getting your identity, but it has its drawbacks, and then there's the modern way of looking in. It obviously has major problems. It's confusing, it's impossible, it's crushing. Mike, how does Christianity offer us an identity that is solid and not crushing? Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. Uh, just remember Rhonda Rousey. She's in that medical room, and she's thinking about ending her life because she had one bad day, one bad fight. 
And then she looked somewhere. She didn't look out. She didn't look in. But in her own words, she says, I looked up. She says, I looked up and saw my man, Travis, was standing there. She says, I'm looking up at him and was just like, I need to have his babies. I need to stay alive. Her relationship with her boyfriend got her through. And I mention this because it's a little bit like what Christianity says, not the having someone's babies part, but, but Christianity says, don't find your identity by looking out or by looking in. You need to look somewhere else. You need to look up to get your identity. You need to look up. This is the gospel way of finding out who we are and getting a sense of our worth. And when we look up, we look up, first of all, to God, our creator. So we're, we're saying the Christian message is inviting you. Don't look out to the people around you. Don't look into the desires inside, but look up to God. And when we do, we see him as God, our creator. And guess what happens? You realize as soon as you look up to him and say, God is my creator. As soon as you realize that, you, you realize, hey, I'm not an accident. I'm not a freak of nature. I am a creature. I'm a living human being made in the image of God. And that is who you are. You're not your own conflicting, ever-changing desires. You're not who you say yourself to be. You're who he says you are. And he says that you are his image bearer. Think about it. You're a magnificent creation of God, specifically placed here on earth, so that you can image and reflect the beauty of the sovereign Lord who made and governs the universe. That's your identity. That's who God says you and are. And that's an awesome identity. That's an exciting identity. And doesn't it make sense that whatever God comes up with is going to be far greater than what we would come up with? Mike, why settle for being a professional soccer player when you can be God's own image bearer? And how huge is it, how life-changing is it when someone switches from looking in for her identity and instead looks up and accepts that she is God's special creation? Uh-huh, yeah, which is, which is why I didn't bother going in to be a professional soccer player. <laughs> one of the um, reasons. Well, one that's of the not reasons. quite true. That, that's one of the reasons, that's right. Yeah, and you know, something else happens when we look up. We look up and see God our creator, which means I'm made in God's image, but when we look up, we see a second thing about God. He's not just my creator. He's also my redeemer, my savior. The story of the Bible is that after God made us in his image to reflect his beauty in the universe, we, God's people, rebelled against him. We tried to assert ourselves over him. Uh, we looked inside our hearts and we found a desire to supplant his rule with our own rule. And we asserted ourselves and wanted to be our own gods. And the Bible says that sin, it's insane and it's punishable by death and judgment. But God never stopped loving us, his creatures. And 2,000 years ago, he fulfilled the plan he and his son and spirit had devised before creation. Jesus Christ, the son of God, became human and took the punishment of our sin upon himself on the cross and physically came back to life three days later. And so you see how life-changing this is, Matthew. Uh, now, when I look up, I don't just look up to God the Creator and say to myself, Mike, I'm made in God's image. Now I look up and I realize God's not just my Creator. He's also my Redeemer and my Savior. And this means I'm who? I am the one God loves to pieces. I'm the one Jesus Christ traded his throne for a cross for. I'm the one Jesus Christ loved to death and gave himself for. And this gives me the most amazing, stable sense of who I am and what I'm worth. Um, Matthew, you've read that kid's book, Sammy and a Shepherd, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, loved it. 
Yeah, so uh, it's weird maybe recommending a kid's book on this podcast, but I'm going to do it anyways. It's it's about this sheep named Sammy, and he looks across the fence at another sheep who doesn't have a good shepherd. And this poor sheep is underfed and dirty and sick and doesn't even have a name. Well, eventually Sammy gets his shepherd to see the poor sheep and rescue it and buy that sheep from the bad shepherd. And this little unnamed sheep now belongs to the good shepherd, Sammy Shepherd. And the part that chokes me up every time I read this story is when the good shepherd gives his new sheep a name. Finally, this unnamed sheep has a name. And what is it? It's precious. The shepherd calls her precious. And no longer does the sheep need to think, I don't know who I am. I don't have a sense of worth. And it's the same for me. And it can be the same for everyone that's listening right now. Wouldn't you love to have a solid sense of who you are that doesn't fluctuate with your ever-changing, ever-conflicting desires? Then look up to God, your creator, and say, I am made in God's image. And then look to him again and see him as your good shepherd, the one who bought you from your previous owner, who bought you with the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. And when you look up to God as your redeemer, you'll not only be able to say, I'm made in God's image, you'll also be able to say, I'm precious. Yeah, I appreciate that. And as you cite that lovely Sammy's shepherd story, it also reminds me of another children's story that also just makes this point so well. It's Max Lucado's book called You Are Mine, which uh, talks about Punchinello and the other Wemmicks and their desire to have things, the new cool thing that will give them an identity. And yeah, it crushes Punchinello and it crushes everybody. And he comes to find his satisfaction just in resting in his maker, his creator. Yeah, that's, that's a wonderful thing, an, an identity that will not crush you. You will be precious, not because you keep performing. You'll be precious not because you manage to keep up that winning streak. You'll be precious not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's wonderful. You won't have to say, oh, I know I'm worth something because I have a master's degree or because I have an attractive partner or because I'm doing important work that's changing the world. You'll be able to say, I know I'm worth something because the God who made me gave everything to have me back as his own. Yeah, so isn't this a soft spot? Isn't it true that as we talk about these things that we feel the gospel touching something that is very near and dear to us? Uh, isn't it true that the ways of getting a sense of worth that the world offers can be really confusing and crushing? And and isn't this what we're all yearning for deep inside? And if someone is listening, Mike, and they are silently saying yes, or they're nodding their head, this is a soft spot, this is connecting with me, and they'd like to hear more about how the Christian message relates to this, what what do you recommend they do? Well, I was on the plane earlier this summer and had this great conversation with a guy next to me. He is a mover and shaker in the music world in Los Angeles, and I was just impressed that he would be so open to talking to a little guy like me. But at the end of our conversation, as we were parting ways, I didn't tell him about our Practicology podcast, Matthew. I'm so sorry to disappoint you on that. I instead um, held my phone up to him and showed him the podcast called Gospel in Life by Tim Keller. And I encouraged him to start listening to some of Tim's messages. And I've already said that I've stolen lots of stuff from him for this episode, and I'll, I'll say it again now, but Tim was a New York City pastor who God used to help thousands of progressive secular people in Manhattan who were trying to find their identity in their um, 
you know, corporate world or in their looks or in their artistic endeavors, but he helped them to find their identity instead, not on the basis of their performance, but by looking up to Jesus Christ and finding that they are precious in his eyes. And just to give you one quote from Tim, this is um, what he says Christians get to, to say when they find their identity in Christ. He says, and now in Christ, it is literally true that the person we adore most in the universe adores us in the eyes of God, in the opinion of the only one in the universe whose opinion ultimately counts, we are more valuable than all the jewels that lie beneath the mm, earth. Wonderful. And I think of a man in the Bible named Paul, who was a great enemy of Jesus Christ. He had been named Saul at that point, and then his name was later changed to Paul. One day he looked up and discovered that Jesus Christ loved even him this way. And it changed his identity. He lived the rest of his life thinking of himself this way. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loved me and gave himself for me. Well, thank you again for taking time to be with us in this episode. And guess what? We have another great big thank you to make. And it is to Alison Flint, who manages our social media for us and schedules all the episodes that come out and makes it so that it'll... Uh, show up in your podcast app or feed or whatever. And by the time this episode goes out, she will be married to William for all of 24 hours. So a big congratulations to William and Allison. And Allison, we know that you're not listening to this. I'm not sure you listen to any of the episodes, but we wish you and William a wonderful honeymoon and a lifetime of joy together. Yes. Amen. Thank you for all your work, Allison. And we're relieved to hear that you're willing to keep helping us with the Practicology Podcast in this new stage of life as well yeah but not till the honeymoon right. is over <laughs> thank all right you take care everyone and remember don't look out don't look in look up to find a sense of who you are and a sense of work thank you mike and thank you everybody for tuning in may the lord bless you all